<laughs> Fucking load, motherfucker. I will not let this republic be split in two. My negotiations will not fail. If they do, there aren't enough Jedi to protect the Republic. We're keepers of the peace, not soldiers. You know I don't like it when you do that. Sorry, Master. I forgot you don't like flying. Well, you've lost him. If you'll excuse me. I hate it when he does that. The fucking movie, oh my god. Oh god, yeah. Oh, fuck. I hadn't... <laughs> I forgot. <laughs> so, like, the test I told you about how... Um, you know, having just rewatched all the Clone Wars cartoon. Yes. And I was like, I wonder how it'll affect uh, uh, episode two and three. Well, so far, <laughs> I've seen zero improvement. I don't want to get into Revenge of the Sith yet. Yeah. I will say I do think there is marginal improvement. Um, I will be interested. I, I'm honestly, I'm, I am very interested in watching Sith with Clone Wars like so present in my mind. Yeah, because that one, again, this is the last one, I'll touch on it, but there's weight added to scenes now, because mm-hmm. now you've seen so much of their history together. None of their history actively plays a role in that movie, but I will say that, yeah, it doesn't help Attack of the Clones at all, for those of us who don't like it, because I know there are so people who do like it. Because, there are? <laughs> yeah, you'd be surprised. Um, <laughs> that, uh, yeah, I fucking would be. <laughs> There's nothing else here, you know, like this is, there's already supposed to be history here in Attack of the Clones between mm-hmm. characters like Obi-Wan Kenobi and Anakin Skywalker. But before we get into that, that was a surprise called open, my friend. Hey. Uh, hello, you're listening to the Waffle Press Movie Podcast. I'm your host, Diego Crespo. With me today is Matt Garingo. Say hi, Matt. Hi, I'm Matt Garingo, and today we're here to discuss, uh, Darren Aronofsky's mother. Get out of my house! Get out! No! Oh, get it? It's about the Bible. That was that was a fun movie. Okay, so we're here on our Star Wars retrospective. Star Wars episode Attack two. of the Clones. Yeah. We're we're officially past the halfway point now. Thank Christ. Phantom Menace, you know, issues galore, and uh, we don't like it, but we see how people do like it. Uh, way back when I started really committing to the Waffle Press, I did a retrospective series previously on these movies, but it was more of like a, uh, a hang loose, like almost short filmy type thing. I had like a narrative framework and stuff. You can go check it's out. Hard to, hard to believe you ever could have done a retrospective without me. <laughs> it was not nearly as in depth, but. I did walk away from the prequels with a little more appreciation by talking to people who grounded me and Mm -hmm. slash or did like them more. With Attack Mm -hmm. of the Clones, I talked to it with my buddy Soren Howe from Movie Fail, and Mm -hmm. neither of us really like Attack of the Clones. But we were able to come to a consensus that if you're going to go see a bad movie or a movie that doesn't work for you, it might as well be something that at least has passion behind it. Or at least interesting ideas. And I think there are some interesting ideas behind Attack of the Clones. But Matt, I could already tell you do not feel the same way. I do not feel that way. (laughs) 
I feel like there are interesting ideas behind the Phantom Menace. Phantom Menace is like a real just kind of like stumble out of the gate type film. And I really think if like Attack of the Clones and Sith had been marginally better, we would look back at Phantom Menace a lot more positively. It's just being like, ah, it's a little off. But hey, it was just the problems out of the gate. But once they got going again, (laughs) things worked out. And they very much didn't into Attack of the Clones, which I think is significantly worse than Phantom Menace. Like, this is easily the worst Star Wars film out there. And that includes uh, the Clone Wars film that was released in theaters and the two Ewok films. Ah, uh, no. I, no. It is the worst live-action feature film. But I, it's, that Clone Wars movie is pretty bad. I don't know. Yeah, but like, but it, that's such a like. I'm so removed because I did not see that in theaters, which is crazy to think about now that I didn't pay to see a Star Wars movie in theaters at one point. Watching it at home, when it's just like a really shitty pilot, and knowing how like television works, I was like, ah, whatever. Like, it's very not good. But this movie's worse than that. I guess because yeah, it's it's just a shitty pilot. Those happen all the time, and then shows can turn up great, which Clone Wars did, thankfully. But the fact that it was released as like a feature film really hampers it for me. I guess maybe there's like a midway point. Like I don't, no one really counts it as a movie in the Star Wars universe, you know? Yeah. Like no one really saw it in theaters. I yeah, I didn't see it. I mean, if I'd seen it in theaters, maybe I would think a little differently because I I'll get into the animation of the Clone Wars later. But I feel like that on the big screen might have been a little oppressive. <laughs> it does. Um, uh, it does not do any favors to the. Uh, visual panache of the series yeah and so well i'm just saying in this moment where i've just rewatched all of the clone wars and have sat down to watch attack of the clones this is worse this movie hurt man it it is it is hard to sit through because i i find myself bored by it because again i do like ideas in the movie and set pieces and a positive that i'm always going to run as a through line through these prequel movies is that they really did show us a lot of new things, like on a in a geographical standpoint. Like all the worlds are very different from what we've seen before. Um, they're very hard science fiction, and like and we go back to Tatooine, and then we go back to Tatooine every single movie for whatever reason. But besides that, <laughs> besides and then we that, go to Geonosis, which is a slightly more orange Tatooine. No, but that I like that it's uh, it's gladiator. Mixed with like some kind of Blade Runner thing. I don't factories. like that at all. <laughs> I hate everything about Geonosis. <laughs> Other than it's kind of like a termite hill. Like there's there's clearly some some visual effects artist, some like you know concept artist was like, well, there's bugs living there, so I'm gonna make it look like an ant hill or a termite mound. And then George Lucas was like, yeah, that's fine. Now go do that while I sit in my chair in front of these giant blue screens. I uh, I also like Camino a lot. Camino's probably the best planet, like visually, I think. Oh, it's, um, it's gorgeous, and it's just a cool they have concept. To, they have to do the uh, hiding it in rain effect, but that's fine because that makes that that's the only real action scene I like is Obi Wan versus Jango Fett. Yeah, it's it's fun, and I like that he's on like this uh, investigation. Like that's really where I get the Blade Runner comparison from. Obviously, it's nowhere near as good as even the worst version of Blade Runner. This yeah, movie yeah. really needed some shitty voiceover. <laughs> <laughs> I would pay for that now. Just add Harrison Forge from the original theatrical release of Blade Runner. 
and just put the Harrison Ford <laughs> voiceover from Blade Runner into this movie, it'll make about as much sense. <laughs> but yeah, no, I like I like the idea of the Obi Wan stuff, and then I like the Coruscant stuff. I don't like the senior I don't. Side of it. I don't. <laughs> well, I, well, I fucking do. I'm sorry. This movie, I, like, it's like everything is off. Like, and this one doesn't even come close. The only thing that's slightly interesting is the twist that the clones are actually fighting for the Republic instead of being villains, which, you know, fans had expect, had suspected up to this point. And even I thought as a kid, when I saw that the title was Attack of the Clones, so I was like, oh, I guess they get attacked by clones at some point, um, which does not happen. No. And I want to talk about how that's kind of a terrible title for the movie. Yeah, I guess. I don't know. Like, like it's a goofy title, but a lot of the Star Wars titles are goofy. It's only, I only think it's a terrible title for this movie because it doesn't represent actually what the movie's about and kind of misleading, if I'm being I honest. I guess. Not just um, because it's not, it doesn't involve the clones attacking. Any, they have a final battle, so sure, they're attacking the droids or whatever, but it's not like we care about anybody on that side anyways. But um, when you hear George Lucas and people talk about it, uh, what the movie's actually about in the clone documentary, they're talking about how, like, oh, it's Anakin torn between, like, love and duty and, like, the birth of evil, uh, the path to hell is paved with good intention sort of thing. And they're painting it as, like, this really epic, romantic tragedy. And Attack of the Clones doesn't service that at all. <laughs> yeah. So. Yeah, I guess you're right. As a standalone title, that's a cool title, I guess. Yeah, this what they should have done. Episode one should have been Attack of the Clones. And then this one should have been Phantom Menace. And the Phantom Menace is love, I guess. Because <laughs> Phantom Menace is the title I don't like. Because I'm like, who the fuck is the Phantom Menace? Like, I, then, get, I get that it's probably Palpatine. But still, like, it's fucking ridiculous. Yeah, that title doesn't work as nicely either. Because there's no, like, concurrent through line for that movie. It's a bunch of people tossed together. And then you follow a narrative for, like, two hours. Well, I guess it, it kind of works tighter. in the sense, I guess it works in the sense that it's like, it's confusing as to who the menace is. And hey. it's also confusing as to who the protagonist is. Yeah. Um, uh, I'll, I'll give it, I'll give Phantom Menace, that, that title of Palpatine and Darth Maul. Someone pointed out to me that like, like Phantom Menace, the title Phantom Menace actually comes from like two different serials that George Lucas clearly took inspiration from. And I can't remember the name of those serials now, but like one was like like I think like the Phantom Empire, and then like the Secret Menace or something like that. And like so, George Lucas was like, "Hey, I'll put those two together." <laughs> oh, George! Oh, George! Speaking of George, let's talk about uh, the development of this film. Take it away. Um, if you were alive in 1999, right after. Uh, Phantom Menace came out and you were confused by what the flying fuck you just saw. <laughs> you would also be bombarded with interviews where they said, George Lucas is almost done on the Attack of the Clones script. He's, he's about two-thirds of the way through. And it's going to be great. It's going to be great. George Lucas turned in the script about a week before shooting started. <laughs> Hayden Christensen signed on without a script. He, he didn't have one. He just kind of was like, well, it's Star Wars. It'll make me famous. Sorry, Hayden. Um, Lucas wanted uh, Leonardo DiCaprio for the role of Anakin Skywalker. 
Yes, he did. And uh, I think that would have been better. That would have been interesting, but I think as much as I can criticize Leo for certain things, um, he was probably smart enough not to sign onto a movie that didn't have a script, which I think was his main reason for not doing it. Yeah. Do you think this would have damaged Leonardo DiCaprio's career if he did this movie for like, a, with the same dialogue? For a little bit. Um, and I also want to say that Hayden Christensen, maybe not the most accomplished thespian per se, but he's he's fighting an uphill battle anyway. So I, yeah, I, it's, I, I never give him too hard of a time. None of this is his fault. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Go watch the movie Shattered Glass. He's really good in that. Yeah. Um, um, but no, I, I don't think it would have ruined his career forever. I think it would have done the Natalie Portman thing where they kind of uh, fade away from yeah, the limelight for a little while. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she can recover from this shit. Because holy fuck. But there are a lot of drafts of the Attack of the Clones screenplay. Um, he wrote, Lucas just kept like writing different versions. Um, I couldn't find access to a lot of versions. I just know there's something like 10 drafts to this yeah. script. Um, and he even, and Lucas seemed to be uh, enjoying himself a lot. Because one of the official scripts I did find, because I read this and I thought, this has to be a joke. Or like, you know, fanboy bullshit. And I went looking for official scripts. And this was the only official, like, early draft I found. And it really had this title where it was Jar Jar's, like, Bizarre Adventure. No. Yes. Jar Jar's Wild Adventure or something like that. And in one of the scripts, Jar Jar speaks normal English. There's a so, scene where Padme's like, hey, Jar Jar, I need you to watch over the Senate vote while I'm gone. And he's like, you can boss him, me so boss it, guys. And she goes, why are you talking like that? And he goes, oh, and then coughs and goes, sorry. It's a great honor. I'll take care of everything. What? Yes. What? Um, I think George Lucas was working out some issues with the fans uh, having a big backlash to Jar Jar. You know, that's the um, big who, thing about this movie for me. Uh, it feels kind of reactionary at times. No, this, this movie's hugely reactionary, and I th- I'm guessing that's why there were a lot of scripts, because now, because Lucas, I, I think he fucked up, in my opinion, with one, starting with Anakin being so young, and two, waiting to start the Clone Wars in the second film. I think the first film should have started with the Clone Wars, personally. Mm-hmm. Um, just because there's so much story he's got to tell here. I mean, he's got to tell, like, you know, the rise and fall of Anakin and then the rise of the Empire. And that's actually a lot of story. Also mixed in with this love story, what's going on with Obi-Wan, like, exactly what Palpatine's up to, the Clone Wars. And none of it is set up in the first movie other than we meet these characters. So this movie's both like reactionary and also trying to make up for lost time. And I think that leads to a lot of the problems of the next two films is that the first film kind of fucked them out of the gate, which is a shame. Because um, if someone had just, you know, said, hey, start, start the movie where shit's actually interesting. Oh, my God. You know, better. you know what that reminds me of? Um, what? I don't watch Gotham, but I have read interviews with the cast and crew. And the showrunner, who was also one of the showrunners on HBO's hit series Rome, uh, talks about why they decided to do a Batman prequel story and how they mm-hmm. planned out seven seasons, up to seven seasons, 
And I quote, up until following Bruce Wayne up until the point where he gets interesting. That's an awful pitch, mm. but the show's still going on. And yeah. I feel like the prequel series kind of fits into that narrative a little bit. Oh, we're going to follow these characters right up until when it gets interesting. And yeah, then right. it kind of ends. Yeah, but the weird thing is, like, especially having watched the Clone Wars cartoon now, it's like all this interesting stuff happened between episode two and three. Like, why couldn't the movies have taken place there? Like, I didn't need all this shit. Like, you could have told me the Clone Wars stuff, like, at, at, like really quickly at the beginning. And like, oh, here's how the war started. Now we're in the middle of this. Oh, my but God. No. Yeah. Phantom Menace could have been a, a, what's that, text crawl. Yeah. No, a, a Phantom Menace and Attack of the Clones could have been text crawl. <laughs> you literally could have just been like, hey, the Clone Wars have started. And now two Jedi are rushing to solve something. You know, have something exciting happening in the opening of your fucking movie. Um, whatever. Well, an assassination uh, attempt. That's, that yeah, should it's, be it's, exciting. Yeah, um, that's all right. It's a nice little twist on things. Yeah. Um, and her uh, handmaiden gets killed. Yeah. She's like, I failed you. Which it probably would have been more interesting if that handmaiden was Kira Knightley, who actually played the double in the in Phantom Menace. Right. That would have been actually kind of interesting. But I guess uh, her and uh, Natalie Portman, Natalie Portman, I guess, yelled at Kira Knightley on set and made her cry. <laughs> oh. I, 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 there's all this stuff out there about how Natalie Portman was kind of a tyrant on set. Oh. Um. So I hope you don't have like flattering opinions of Natalie Portman because I guess they're not true. Oh, I'm sad now. <laughs> okay, well, <laughs> that's now you know how I feel. <laughs> um, I will um, say uh, before we get further into the actual movie that I would be okay with the first movie kicking off the Clone Wars. Like it ends, the cliffhanger is like oh, now the Clone Wars started, and now we we still have to be introduced to all the characters. I think it would have been cool if that was like a mystery kind of a flip of a new hope where it's like it builds up to this big final battle where you just kind of mm. like you know it's all character stuff and there's no real big space battle or anything it's just like people get caught up in a really messed up situation and then george lucas can of course implement the political stuff with a a, a co-writer who can tell him no and kind of guide his hand yeah definitely i mean i yeah i mean if you want to do this movie you got to do it a lot differently, but I would be fine with this being the start. This is a better start than Phantom Menace. And it just gives the series more breathing room. Um, but speaking of co-writers, there actually was a co-writer on this movie. Yes, there was. Uncredited. Um, Jonathan Hale, um, who worked on the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, and I'm not sure what else. Um, they brought him in at like the last minute. <laughs> They kind of do. He did a rewrite of Lucas's script, and then Lucas rewrote his script, and that's all I think really happened. <laughs> I think Jonathan Hale just took that paycheck and then fucking jumped ship. Because I was given that script, I don't know what the fuck I would do. Like, I mean, literally, you would at that point, you would have to be like, if I was given the Phantom Men, I mean, not Phantom, uh, Attack of the Clones script. I mean, I would just be like, well, you got to remove this. You got to take like all this out. <laughs> It would just be like removing tons of shit just to like streamline it a little bit. 
And then Lucas would be like, no, you can't take any of that. We're already building sets. And we've already designed, like we already have all these models built. And even though this is like a really digital film, which I'm about to get into, they still had to do a lot of model making and a lot of uh, set building and a lot of, you know, securing locations for the Tatooine and uh, fucking, uh, what's, what's Naboo. fucking Padme's, Naboo, yeah. fuck, um, for fucking Naboo. So, and Lucas literally, the, like the model makers like were put to work pretty early. And they were just kind of told, hey, I might be doing something like this. And they just had to kind of guess what Lucas was going to be writing when they were developing stuff. Oh, no. And I guess Rick McCollum was a little pissed. Because he was like, come on, fucking George, fucking speed it up. <laughs> Although McCollum gives a fucking brilliant interview where he says, George hasn't given me a script yet. But you have to remember, uh, Orson Welles didn't finish the script for Citizen Kane until day one. Oh, my God. So, yeah. Um, so, one more thing. Uh, I think that this film is actually an important part of film history. Uh, I watched, uh, there's, this, there's this great, like, 12-part documentary called The Story of Film that basically goes over the entire history of cinema from beginning to end. And it talks about exactly three of the Star Wars films. It talks about Star Wars talks about Empire Strikes Back, and it talks about Attack of the Clones. And the reason it talks about Attack of the Clones is because it's the first film shot completely digitally. Uh, Lucas commissioned uh, Sony to develop an, an all-digital camera. Um, but because of time constraints, ILM only got to look at it for about a week and before it was shipped off to New Zealand or Australia where they shot it because of tax breaks. And then when ILM got all the footage back, they fucking almost had a heart attack because something was up with the camera. I mean, you can tell watching the movie because it looks terrible, but the, the camera didn't handle blues very well. I don't totally understand the technology, but it like compressed all the blues to like a third of like other colors. And which wouldn't be that big of a deal, but like 90% of the movie was shot against the blue screen. <laughs> so it created a disaster for ILM, and they were like scrambling throughout the whole production to try and get stuff done. And uh, Jonathan Knoll, the inventor of Photoshop, the guy behind uh, the story for Rogue One, um, he pitched it to Kathleen Kennedy. He was in charge of this stuff at the time, and he gave an interview where he's like, yeah, you know, sometimes I would have these meetings with Lucas about this stuff, and then when they were over, I would have to take a couple days off so I wouldn't yell at anyone. So, yeah, it wasn't, it wasn't a great production. But that's a notable thing, that this is the first all-digital film. Yeah, that's pretty cool. And now we live in hell <laughs> of digital projection, which I hate. I'm not against digital film. I'm not one of those guys, but fucking... It's digital projectors, dude. They just are terrible. I go to these multiplexes and like the movies just look so bad. And no one really like can call it out because it's become the standard, you know? Yeah. So it's like, no one even knows like to recognize that if that's all they see. Well, now there's no professional, you know, fucking camera operators or project projectionists. It's just the kid who goes in and turns it on. Yeah. 
So it's fucking it's nightmare world. Yeah. Although uh, the new Beverly here in LA does have that. Well, that's because Tarantino's like insanely anti-digital. <laughs> yeah, but that might just be just because, like, if you read interviews with him, I don't think he understands how digital cameras work either. But that's a whole other thing. No, I'm actually on his side a little. <laughs> oh, okay, but I'm not like 100% opposed to digital. But I'm like not yet. And there's always got to be a place for film at the table. Yeah, that's my thing. They just keep both options. Yeah, know? yeah. I'm never let never let film go away because if we do, we're all fucked. So also, it's just easier to make it look better, so you don't end up with a movie that looks like this. Although we might have a future where uh, there might no longer exist any copies of Attack of the Clones. <laughs> that could be interesting. What's the term? Like digital degradation? Degradation. Degradation. Yes. Um, like digital films, they age really poorly. And if you're constantly like sharing the files or moving them over to new hard drives, they slowly get worse and worse. Uh, and I mean, look at and look at um, fucking early YouTube video. <laughs> like, look up anything that was posted on YouTube about ten years ago, and it's unwatchable. Oh fuck! That's and true. some movies from you know, there's movies, there are digital movies that are basically unwatchable because of you know just quality. And like just because of this, it's it's all pixely. So we're we're currently living in an age where we're probably going to lose like ninety percent of the media being produced right now. Kind of like what happened with silent films. Um, less, I'm, I'm guessing less like studio blockbusters and more like YouTube videos. Um, if there are any YouTube artists out there that you currently like, you better be saving their videos <laughs> and like transferring them to like VHS tapes or something. Like, that sounds stupid, but you kind of got to think about doing that because that might be the best way to save them because we're losing. I mean, there's videos I can't even find anymore that, like, were I loved that were YouTube videos from, like, years ago. And you just can't find them because they're gone. That's just, it's so weird to me. And that's going to keep happening, especially if, like, YouTube, like, collapses in the next 10 years, which is it's very possible. Oh, fuck yeah, it is. So we, we're in a very odd age. Um, and we're gonna be we're gonna lose a lot of important stuff. So where's Ultron when you need him? Am I right? Anyways, so Attack of the Clones. Fuck you, <laughs> you fucking asshole. Fucker. So Attack of the Clones. Um, it's very inspired by Flash Gordon. This is what I found, anyways. Flash Gordon, the works of Ridley Scott with Gladiator and Blade Runner, uh, and a little bit old school romance epic like Casablanca a little bit I'm not saying it succeeds at any of these things mind you I'm saying that's the vibe I got from the variety of set pieces and directions the story takes sure uh, why uh, don't well, you think they work <laughs> well no I mean here's the thing Luke it, much like how Lucas said fucking Phantom Menace was a, like a silent film and like a jazz riff and all this other shit as an excuse for what happened. Um, which I really do. But I don't think he was thinking this like while he was writing it. I think it was like he realized it was never going to elevate beyond a certain point. But was too insecure about taking it to someone else. He, so he's like, well, it's an old time romance. So it's, there's corny dialogue. 
And it's like, oh, well, there's a there's a complex mystery plot. Like, I get the vibe. It's like a it's like a romance film, a not very good one mixed with Chinatown because <laughs> you got the mystery plot with Obi-Wan. And, you know, he goes to like he goes to seedy places, kind of. And he's, he's there's a huge complex mystery that only he can solve. And it involves the entire Republic and all this shit. And the bad guys actually win in the end. Yeah. I don't think it works because those are two terrible things to mix with Star Wars. Well, no, I, I, I disagree that they're wrong to mix with Star Wars, but don't do it like this, I guess. You got you got to be... You can't just throw them in there. There has to be like a unifying thing around a them. A complex mystery plot is very hard to mix with Star Wars. I'm more against the mystery idea than fucking the other shit and the, the romance angle. But if you're going to do a romance, just, there's a little movie out there called Empire Strikes Back, which did a romance a lot better and a lot, you know, more subtle. Like, a, like if you're writing a mystery film, it kind of has to take over the entire structure of the film. And it has to make sense, like, in a lot of ways. Because if you make a mystery plot, you're, you're automatically forcing the audience to think about the details of everything. This, this isn't a movie where you, can, you can't go... Like, I've seen the criticism where people go, like, I don't get why people complain about stuff not making sense in the prequels, because no one asked, like, what the Empire was up to in the, the original films. And, like, that's because most of the Empire's activities weren't integral to the plot. Like, this Clone Wars mystery is, like, a huge thing, and it's, it's one of the driving forces behind the story. And we need to understand what's going on. Yeah in the Republic and like at every level of government to, to fucking make sense of this. And there's just no, like, I mean, none of this adds up. Oh, also, uh, out, even outside of the government, because I guess the Jedi aren't inherently part of the government yet. They become yeah. part of it. And that kind of leads to their downfall. I like that idea a lot. You also need to know the inner workings of the Jedi order, which you don't get. In these movies. You get very brief glimpses into the workings of the Jedi Order. And the only way you're going to fucking ever be on the side of the stuff that's taught in this film <laughs> is if you read, like, dozens of Wikipedia entries from before the reboot. If you think any of this adds up, just based on the film alone, like, I don't care what was in the novelization, I don't care what was added in later books... You have to set... Stuff has to be established in this film. And none of it is very well. And it becomes a noose to kind of get stuck around the entire rest of the franchise. It makes a lot of stuff really confusing. But again, I don't understand any of it, so maybe it doesn't fucking matter. It helped that the new uh, Force Awakens seemed to completely ignore everything, because the story didn't need to start delving into Jedi teachings. Um, but that might be a little different in The Last Jedi, so we'll see. Yeah, and I, I forget if I brought it up before, but how Ryan Johnson is kind of a uh, quote-unquote prequels apologist, or he took like the devil's advocate route with uh, the prequels, how they're like a story about fascism, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. But like for kids, and like the rise of fascism and like uh, moral I compromise. Think he, I think he was being nice and very political. I mean, sure, he's directing a Star Wars movie, so he kind of has to be. But um, I do see those movies as that, 
they do not succeed, but I mean that that's that's really the feeling I get was Lucas's goal originally. Well, definitely, I definitely see what Lucas is trying to do, especially because his original drafts of Star Wars, he based the Rise of the Empire Emperor on uh, Richard Nixon. Um, and in the original scripts, the idea were that the Jedi's were like the the Emperor's personal guard. Like every Emperor, like worked with the Jedi, and they, you know, helped him out with very specific affairs. But then the Emperor betrayed them and had them all killed with Darth Vader. Um, but the Jedi aren't that in this film, and it becomes very difficult to piece together what their relationship is. Like to the government, because I, I I'm still very confused. But somehow they end up being the generals of the Clone Wars, which I also don't understand. Like, did they teach like military strategy at the Jedi Temple? Yeah, I don't I don't fully understand that. Is it something about like I'm not trying to sound like snarky? Like I don't get it. Uh, like I genuinely am confused. Is it something about like separation of church and state? Because the Jedi are basically like they're they're spouting space religion with the Force. Mm-hmm. Essentially, like maybe something with that. I don't know. It's just it's just weird to me because like none of it adds up. Like there's all these conflicts in this movie that don't really make sense. I mean, you you have the really forced like forbidden love angle with Padme and Anakin, but there's also you know like we're keepers of the peace, not soldiers. What is what does keepers of the peace mean, and how does it differ from soldiers? I'm willing to accept that they're different. Because that sounds like different things. But what does it mean to be a keeper of the peace? What are Jedi doing during the time when there are no Sith are running around? And that stuff that like could they, have like they, been explored in these movies. And, and remember, they were sent as negotiators in Phantom Menace. Like, how does that fit into the whole thing? Like, does the, like are they, is that what they do? Do they just mediate those sort of conflicts? And then I just... I, uh, it just gets it gets very strange for me. I don't understand why. Like, what did the Jedi do? Like, has there never been a war in the history of the Jedi Order? Like, was the Republic never? I get that. Like, there's been a thousand years of peace or whatever, but I'm guessing the Jedi Order is older than that. Also, in that thousand years of peace thing is that is the implication that there haven't been any Sith since then, right? Yeah. And so then there's an interesting backstory for Palpatine to explore. Like, how old is he? Who taught him? Yeah, what, how is he doing this? Yeah. What is he, uh, yeah, where did he learn all this stuff? Mm-hmm. And there actually is a book out there that's kind of interesting if you like Star Wars called Darth Plagueis. Give it a read if you want some answers. It's no longer canon, but it was kind of interesting at the time. Um, doesn't make any of this shit better, but it's, it, it, adds a lot of interesting stuff i'm just i'm just very confused all the time (laughs) also you know there's the there's also the big uh there's the continuity error where obi-wan says the for a thousand generations um the jedis were guardians of peace and justice but then it's changed to a thousand years oh yeah and also this this film changes uh the one who is prophesized to bring balance to the force to Bring balance to the force and destroy the Sith. I mean, gives it gives it some better direction. Still doesn't make that prophecy thing work at all. It's no Kung Fu Panda. 
you're actually right. Yeah, no, Kung Fu Panda is amazing. And it, I was in this weird if you, you want to see a better version of this film, <laughs> watch the Kung Fu Panda movies. Yeah, like uh, when I revisited them, because I was really excited for the third one, which I do generally like a lot still. Um, mm. I was like, ah, oh, Chosen One stories are so stupid. They ruined the Star Wars prequels, yada, yada. And then, you know, Legend of Korra was on. I was like, oh, yeah, I really like that. Oh, yeah, Kung Fu Panda's good. Oh, my God. And then, like, it all clicks for me. I was like, oh, it's not about the the destiny. It's character motivations and just establishing what it means to have that destiny thrust upon you, yada, yada. And these movies don't really explore that, but they explore – or they try to explore the ramifications of that later. But there's there was stuff to set up and mine at the same time in these first two prequels that really weren't really compensated for, you know, I mean, there's literally an entire arc of the clone wars cartoon that makes up for the lack of exploring the chosen one aspect, which really like fucking, they should have just zoomed in on that. That's an important thing. If this kid's the chosen one, like this movie should have started with like Anakin, like being in a room, like, and he's like fucking lifting like entire buildings with his mind or some shit. But again, I don't like the I, I don't like the chosen one thing at all. I think it shouldn't be a part. I hate this like retroactive like because Darth Vader's important to the audience, we need to make him more important by making him like you know, the product of a virgin birth and this divine figure. I think that's a real big misstep of these films. I agree to a point because I, I hate that retroactive thing too about Darth Vader being important to the audience, yada yada. I like the idea of a chosen one narrative and something like a Star Wars. Not that they're all seeing all encompassing good or evil or whatever, right? I'm open to it, but fucking don't not with Darth Vader. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't it doesn't work with Darth Vader. And now it's like it's just added this really weird element to the whole, you know, mythos that now like the Star Wars have all become about Darth Vader. And now we exist, we live in a world where there are, how many Star Wars films have been made? There's eight, eight. technically. Eight. eight. There's going to be seven. I mean, uh, nine. There's, there's going to be nine. Us. And so far, seven of those eight feature Darth Vader. <laughs> and reportedly, there's another one on the way that's going to feature Darth Vader, but I think that's bullshit. I hope it's bullshit. <laughs> I, I do too, but I'm probably not going to see that movie. So, yeah, uh, unless I'm forced to do it, so I can yell on a podcast. <laughs> uh, yeah. we'll, we'll see, because I I have not happy feelings about that whole production. If Anakin represents like this good, this he's chosen one because he's supposed to bring balance to the Force, then where these the prequel trilogy ends up with Palpatine reigning over the galaxy with the chosen one corrupted and literally just at his side like a like a pet like an errand boy that that is a cool little storytelling thing i feel like like oh this is how much they've lost where the chosen one is just yeah. like a, a second in command to this ultimate evil in the galaxy it's interesting yeah i, I needs I like to that. be execute needs to be executed better oh absolutely but but nice uh story. yeah nice whatever story. fuck it Fuck it. This would work. It would work a little better if, like, oh, but if it was like an avatar situation where, like, whenever someone dies, like, the, the soul passes to another body or something. That's that's, not, that's my theory on 
what's happening post Force Awakens in the I main have series. That, I have that same theory, uh, feeling at least. Um, which would I would honestly, I'm fine with that one. That could be cool if you did it right. All yeah. of this could be cool if you did it right. Okay, uh, last time you mentioned how a lot of people sit on couches in these movies when they talk. Was that just Revenge of the Sith? Um, no, that's all of them. <laughs> well, no, in, in Phantom Menace, it, a lot of uh, the conversation in circles. Like, people will either be standing in a circle or someone will be in the middle of a circle. Um, every now and then they're sitting at a dinner table. And by every now and then, I mean once. But it's mostly people sitting around in a circle talking in Phantom Menace. This one, people sometimes will sit, because usually it's like one-on-one conversations in this one. There's no longer really like boardroom scenes. There's a couple in this, but not as many. But a lot of the times people will look directly at each other and talk and maybe walk over to something and then come back. And that's about it. And then when you get, then Revenge of the Sith is a lot of couches. So those are the themes of these three movies. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> oh okay you know what i what moment i kind of do like going back to the silent film thing that lucas brought up with phantom menace uh when anakin's uh-huh. looking for his mom and there's no talking and he's just exploring the deserts of tatooine i kind of like that but that's because yeah. the music does the heavy lifting you know what's weird about that scene that would have been a good scene to use with telling a complex mystery story like to show a character following all sorts of different leads to different locations. Yes, it would have. That would have worked really well. It would have worked a little better than meeting some fat asshole in a 1950s space diner who just tells you what planet to go to. Uh, you don't like Dexter Jetster? I do not like Dexter Jetster. Okay. I'm <laughs> jumping ahead a little bit real quick. Um, there's a Dexter, someone who's like Dexter Jetster is in the Clone Wars cartoon. <laughs> His same species is in the Clone Wars cartoon, and he's a Jedi. And he's like supposed to be one of like the top generals in the Jedi Order. The fuck is that about? And he's and he's the still same fat lumbering weirdo as Dexter Jetster. The only thing I can think is that. Before that episode aired, because I, I checked the dates, there was the RLM Phantom Menace video, I mean, Attack of Clones video, where he, he was talking about how there's too many lightsabers in it. And it would be to give someone like Dexter Chester a lightsaber. <laughs> I think someone writing for the Clone Wars saw that. <laughs> Much like I'm also, I mean, it could just be a coincidence, but fucking Darth Vader's burn mask was exactly like the Mr. Plinkett drawing. Look it up. They look fucking the same. It's, it's like exact. Someone at Lucasfilm has been watching Red Letter Media. <laughs> Including Ryan Johnson, who I saw make a tweet about it. Oh, fuck, that's right, huh? Yeah, he said, uh, he said something along the lines of, like, I, like, I love them and fear them. <laughs> So, which means someone, someone out there has watched the Plinket reviews. I'm not sure if that's a good or bad thing, but just throwing <laughs> it out there. <laughs> uh, uh, I, wanted, I just want to say really quickly, though, that the arc in the Clone Wars with that 
with that Jedi. Pretty remarkable stuff that it's not like embarrassing. Oh yeah, it's fucking one of the best arcs of the series. It's just with a fat, like clumsy asshole is like suddenly like this mastermind. It's just bizarre. It was like I couldn't stop thinking about that while I was watching it. Yeah, like it's like a funny joke in a Plinket video, and then oh my god, this is like bringing up legitimate cause for concern and like recontextualizing the Clone Wars and identity and what the. F- it's like, ha, ah, this is funny. And then like, oh, shit, things are actually happening. <laughs> Which is kind of what happens with a lot of the Clone Wars cartoon. And something that never happens in Attack of the Clones. <laughs> oh, poor Attack of the Clones. Um, since we're talking about some of the, uh, the uh, conversations in the movie, um, do you maybe want to turn to the document I sent you? <laughs> I'm already there. I mentioned to uh, Diego that we should reenact some of the uh, Anakin and Padme scenes um, from the movie. Uh, so I got, I, I got a couple of the best ones. There was one I wanted to get where Padme was discussing her political philosophy, but I, I, didn't, I couldn't find like a complete typed-up version of it because it was just fucking fascinating. Um, so let's, uh, let's do this. <clears throat> So let's just set the scene. All you uh, aficionados out there, I'm sure you know these scenes from all the times you've watched Attack of the Clones. And I'm sure that the memories are still fresh. So this is the scene where Padme and Anakin, they're leaving Coruscant and in disguise. They're on like a, you know, a cargo ship so they can't be recognized. Because fucking motherfuckers are after Padme. That's the plot of this film, by the way. People are trying to assassinate Padme. (laughs) Sorry we didn't get to that earlier. Um, so this is them leaving court. be difficult having sworn your life to the Jedi, not being able to visit the places you like or do the things you like. Or be with the people I love. Are you allowed to love? I thought that was forbidden for a Jedi. Attachment is forbidden. Possession is forbidden. Compassion, which I would define as unconditional love, is essential to a Jedi's life. So you might say, that we are encouraged to love. You've changed so much. You haven't changed a bit. Oh my god, man. You tapped into the fucking <laughs> spirit of Hayden Christensen. Thank you. I was, trying to I was like, like holy shit, did he get Hayden Christensen for this? <laughs> I was trying to just like... I don't know. They, they describe him in the documentary, like when they're talking about his performance, like, oh, he's like a, a James Dean. He's got like this passion and rage in his voice and his eyes. And you feel like this fire where he's uncertain. And they're describing like this <laughs> great actor. And again, I don't want to shut Hayden Christensen because he's working. Mm-hmm. He's working overtime to make this shit work. <laughs> but He's um, trying the hardest with the worst script ever and absolutely no direction. <laughs> Yeah, God bless him, okay? Anybody who's shitting on him for these movies, get, you know what? Go fuck yourself. This guy, this kid. You're blaming, you're blaming the wrong guy. Yeah. All right. Um, but, uh, <laughs> next scene, which I just included this one because it's a fan favorite. But also there's a part before it that uh, some people tend to not remember. This is when they're in hiding on uh, Naboo and they're at the, like, Padme's summer house, I think. <laughs> um, and, uh... Because no one would think to look for Padme on her home planet. 
that's a fucking brilliant move. Uh, so here's the scene. They're on the balcony at sunset. And fucking Padme's in like this really kind of skimpy uh, dress, I should say. With her back fully exposed. We used to come here for school retreat. We would swim to the island every day. I love the water. We used to lie out on the sand and let the sun dry us and try to guess the names of the birds singing. <laughs> Hang on, I'm so sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry to everyone involved in these movies. <laughs> I'm sure you're all amazing people, and I, it's clear that a lot of people worked hard in these movies. Yes. And I'm, I'm not, not trying, trying to credit anybody. <laughs> okay, okay, here we go. <clears throat> I don't like sand. It's coarse and rough and irritating. And it gets everywhere. Not like here. Here everything is soft and smooth. I'm trying Anakin so hard creepily, not to laugh. Anakin creepily touches Padme's back. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, if and you think- want to know how to interact with people, do the opposite of what Anakin does in this movie. Yes. Don't do anything he does, <laughs> which is like constantly argue and belittle her. Talk about himself constantly. There's a lot of, honestly, I was actually a little disturbed. There's a lot of videos talking about how Anakin is friend zoned in this movie. Oh. I saw a lot of videos like that on, uh, on the YouTube. That was a little, uh, I hope those are all joking. I hope no one's taking this that seriously. Also, that steamy dialogue we just read, it should be mentioned that that leads to their first kiss, which Padme then, like, quickly backs out of. It's like, no, I can't do it. Yeah. And you know what? That I will say that I do think, uh, given their backgrounds, he's a Jedi, he can't have attachments or physical attachments, and that could be mistaken as, like, love, and clearly it's not. There's a whole, there's a whole emotional complexity behind a romance between a senator and a Jedi, potentially. It's mm-hmm. not explored, and it's not done well, but I could see what drew Lucas to that. And I just want to say that it's super creepy that Anakin was, like, nine when he met Padme. And mm-hmm. she's like, how much older is she than him? Like, well, th- She's supposed to be, like, 13 or 14 in Phantom Menace. Okay, she's so supposed- he's, she's 19, and she's- then she's, like, 24, 23. Yeah, she's in her 20s. He's slightly younger, I'm guessing. Okay. I mean, it's not that huge, but it's still a little, like... It's a little weird. Yeah, which, again, would have been fixed if uh, he wasn't a nine-year-old kid. In yeah, if you didn't start the fucking movie there. But whatever. Um, <laughs> or don't make Anakin's fall be about a love story, but that's just me. Um, yeah. All right, uh, next one. This is the this is Anakin. This is the big scene where they finally confront each other <laughs> about their feelings after eating dinner. Okay. And they're sitting in front of a fireplace, I think. <clears throat> From the moment I met you all those years ago, not a day's gone by when I haven't thought of you. And now that I'm with you again, I'm in agony. The closer I get to you, the worse it gets. Thought of not being <laughs> <laughs> Damn it, I had it. 
I am like holding my hand over my mouth trying to stop myself from laughing. Oh, okay. I'm not going to start from the top. I'm just going to keep going. Yeah, yeah, go, go right there. <laughs> Fuck. Okay. The thought of not being with you, I can't breathe. I'm haunted by the kiss that you should never have given me. My heart is beating, hoping that kiss will not become a scar. You're in my very soul, tormenting me. What can I do? I will do anything you ask. Uncomfortable pause. If you're suffering as much as I am, please tell me. I can't. We can't. It's not possible. Anything is possible, Padme. Listen to me. No, you listen. We live in a real world. Come back to it. You're studying to become a Jedi. I'm, I'm a senator. If you follow your thoughts through to conclusion, it will take us to a place we cannot go, regardless of the way we feel about each other. <laughs> Fuck. Okay. Oh, okay. Then you do feel something. I will not let you give up your future for me. You're asking me to be rational. That is something that I know I cannot do. Believe me. I wish I could just wish away my feelings, but I can't. Oh, shit. Oh, shit. <laughs> that was fucking rough. Yeah. Oh, damn, that's, that's fucking good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, um, the next one, this is another big one. Um, this is right after uh, Anakin has killed an entire village of sand people and then brought the corpse of his mother home um, to the Lars homestead, which is where we meet the, uh, the Lars family. Oh, I have a whole thing about that for later. Yeah, we'll get into that. Um, so I, I just want you to know, this is, this is the atmosphere that's in the air, is that Anakin has brought his dead mother home. I want you to understand that that's what's going on. He's kind of brooding in the basement by himself when the scene begins. All right. I brought you something. Are you hungry? The shifter's broke. Life seems so much simpler when you're fixing things. I'm good at fixing things. Always was. But I couldn't. Why'd she have to die? Why couldn't I save her? I know I could have. Sometimes there are things no one can fix. You're not all powerful, Annie. Well, I should be. Someday I will be. I will be the most powerful Jedi ever. I promise you. I will even learn to stop people from dying. Anakin. It's all Obi-Wan's fault. He's jealous. He's holding me back. Anakin throws something. What's wrong, Annie? I... I killed them. I killed them all. They're dead. Every single one of them. And not just the men, but the women. And the children, too. They're like animals. And I slaughtered them like animals. I hate them! To be angry is to be human. Fuck <laughs> me. Oh my uh, god, that's so amazing. He just committed like a mass genocide and she's like, to be angry is to be human. Yeah. Holy fuck. 
like what the fuck is that like <laughs> and he just i mean not only that he just clearly endorsed like fucking you know eugenics and like fucking racism <laughs> like which is something i mean i was just thinking the the clone wars cartoon does explore a lot of anakin's like you know troubled nature it doesn't really explore his racism <laughs> which i think would be an ex- important thing to explore oh yeah <laughs> Um, oh, holy shit. Like, um, just reading it out loud, I was like, oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> it's I'm uh, so very... It's even more amazing to watch. <laughs> Alright, um... One last scene. I included this one. Because it reminds me of a certain scene. In Empire. <laughs> where, uh... Uh, Han and Leia are being separated and they might never see each other again. In fact, they might both die. One of them might die within the next moment. And this might be the last time they get to talk to each other. So think of that scene while we do this scene. (laughs) Don't be afraid. I'm not afraid to die. I've been dying a little bit each day since you came back into my life. What are you talking about? I love you. You love me. I thought we had decided not to fall in love. That we'd be forced to live a lie and that it would destroy our lives. I think our lives are about to be destroyed anyway. I truly, deeply love you. And before we die, I want you to know. All right, now remember that moment in Empire? (laughs) (laughs) You know, Natalie Portman uh, won an Oscar after this. So did Leo. (laughs) (laughs) Woo, man, this is... Woo. I take it all back. This movie's great. (laughs) (laughs) Um... Wow, this was uh, this is some this is some shit. <laughs> well, that was some that was fun. Yeah, uh, oh damn! That oh is... god. Uh, uh, I want I want to just mention that the arena scene kind of fun. I, I like the creature uh, designs in there. Yeah, um, I love monsters in in uh, Star Wars. So like, whenever I pick out a scene that I like in these prequels, they usually involve monsters. I like the scene when they're underwater and they get chased by all the different fish monsters. Oh yeah, yeah, that's cool. Even with Jar Jar not shutting the fuck up. Um, and I do, I like the beginning of this arena scene because the monsters are cool and also because there's no fucking lightsabers for the first part of it. And you know what? That kind of adds like legitimate thrills to it. Because, like, all, like, yeah, they have the Force, and they're, like, physically capable, and we know Padme is, too. But, you know, they don't have their lightsabers, and they're, it's a genuinely cool little set piece for a mm-hmm. moment there. Yeah. It's, it's, and then it kind of devolves. You know what's not but, a good set piece? The fucking droid factory scene. Uh, Which I is like the, the idea of it. I don't. Like, all right, I get it. Like, fucking running on a conveyor belt. Yeah, that's fun. That's fun. Sure. Fuck you. Um, <laughs> no, it's just like, yeah, I kind of get, but that feels more 
Indiana Jones than Star Wars. But like the thing is, because the way that action scene plays out, it's like it's basically a, an action cul-de-sac. It's like you know the same amount of shit could have been accomplished if they had walked in and just been immediately captured, which is what was supposed to happen. This was an action scene added like towards the end of production. Oh it, uh, yeah, that makes total sense. There's there's apparently a scene you know there's a scene where because oh, Obi Wan gets the Geonosis first because of his brilliant detective work. Um, and he looks down into this cavern and sees like all these droids getting built and then kind of walks away. And I guess there was concept art or maybe like previs on it. And Lucas saw that and said, Hey, we should have an action scene on the conveyor belt. And so they quickly came up with this whole scene. Oh, that's, that sucks. I, I, and if you, well, this is, this is George Lucas's idea of how film should be made. Like all this technology was, he's pushing this digitalness and this, you know, working on blue screen system so he can do things like this. So if he's on set and he just spontaneously comes up with this idea, he's not constricted by sets or locations or actors even. He's just, they just throw him into it. Like he can just do whatever he wants right there within like a couple days. I'm sure he thought this was a great thing to do. He's like, wow, look at me. I'm a fucking maverick. I just designed a whole action scene in like a week. Which, yeah, there's something to be said about that, but guess what? It doesn't really work in the film. Oh. And one of the things, I mean, I don't know if it's that present in this film. It's very noticeable in Revenge of the Sith, but there's a lot of scenes that where Lucas clearly just took two different takes of the same scene and just took one actor's performance from one scene and another actor's performance from another, and just blended them together. Um, like, I'm pretty sure the, the, the opera house scene in Revenge of the Sith, if you watch, like, Anakin's face, like, digitally changes in the scene, and that's because he bl- Lucas just blended two takes together, because he liked one take more than the other. And that's how Lucas thinks films should be made. Mm, I don't like that. And honestly, I've seen other directors do similar things um, better. Uh, Sin City is very much filmed in this manner. Uh, Sin City, they they were able to film it where Mickey Rourke and Elijah Wood had a fight. And neither of the actors ever worked together. (laughs) So if you want like an example of how this type of technology and this method of filmmaking can work, check out Sin City. Uh, maybe it's not that spectacular now because I know the I never saw the second Sin City and I know that fucking bombed big time. Another movie that tries to do stuff like this is Sky Captain and the World of Tomorrow. Uh, did you ever see that? I did. I like it. It's yeah, it's fine, but it it it's a little more noticeable and it's like blending of it's like all digitalness. Um, they try and make it like a thing. They try and make it give it like a vibe that makes it not as noticeable, but it's still kind of yeah, it's a little distracting in Sky Captain. Yeah, I. It's very distracting in these two in the last two prequel films. I haven't noticed his face blending though. That is, I'll, I'll keep a lookout for that next time. Look, I, I know that happens during the opera house scene. Yeah, it's like very quick, but pay attention, you'll notice it. Oh, and oddly enough, that's one of the better scenes in that movie. Oh, so yeah. maybe Lucas is on to something. <laughs> um, but once you notice it, you can't, like, unsee it. So 
Um, I'll be I'll be honest. I wasn't looking for it that much this time. I was I might have been playing Roller Coaster Tycoon while Attack of the Clones was on in the background at some points. <laughs> but uh, hey, I tried my best. Okay, I made it about thirty minutes. <laughs> there might be something else to some of the direction <clears throat> and some of the stuff with Revenge of the Sith that we could talk about mm. later. I also want to bring up that Lucas, remember Lucas, like, right after Force Awakens came out, he kind of gave, like, a dozen interviews where he was shitting on Force Awakens. Yeah. In, like, a really passive-aggressive way. <laughs> um, but he really liked Rogue One, and he went around talking about how much he liked it. I think I know why he liked Rogue One. And uh, I think it might have been the digital Tarkin. Because that, the digital Tarkin removes one more obstacle to, for Lucas, which is actors. Oh no! I'm not like I'm not even making a joke. I really think that's what he was like. Wow, Matt, we're almost there. Because in a way, he's right. I do think this type of digital filmmaking is something that's going to be like big in the next fifty years, where we're going to see we're going to start seeing movies where all the characters are digital, and we're going to get weird where we're going to start seeing movies with like John Wayne again, even though he's been dead for fucking fifty years. See, that's what I'm concerned about. That that has some nasty implications. Oh, yeah, definitely. It's more, I'm honestly not as worried about the grave robbing that'll be happening. And more worried about, like, what does that mean for, like, copyright law? Like, does that mean, like, someone will now own the likeness of actors? Like, we're going to start seeing actors stuck in contracts where they never own their likeness. (laughs) They have no stake in their own lives. And it's already started. I mean, someone actually bought the Marilyn Monroe likeness rights. And now you can't like produce, like there used to be like this ability for anyone to produce like certain Marilyn Monroe memorabilia. And now that's gone. You can't even do like certain parodies of her. That's unsettling. Yes, it is. Oh shit. I didn't know that. But, but, uh, so long as Obama's still in the white house, everything will work out. (coughs) Well, Wait, who's president? Oh, no! Blast, that's why I hate flying. This is a crisis. The Senate must vote the Chancellor emergency powers. As my first act, I will create a grand army of the Republic to counter the increasing threats of the separatists. Hasn't been a full-scale war since the formation of the Republic. You must join me, Obi-Wan. And together, we will destroy the Sith. The dark side clouds everything. In grave danger, you are. Oh, well. <laughs> Anyways, um, uh, so... There's a fun thing. Owen Lars is a character that I feel could have been explored more in this prequel trilogy as well. There's a really good series of or trilogy of videos um by belated media i think i brought them up before too uh mm-hmm. where he breaks down what he would have done if he were like an executive at fox and george lucas is like here's the scripts he would be like well let's take a look at what you have and george lewis actually had had to listen to fox which he never had to do yes exactly remember these remember, remember these are all still technically independent films in a way that's fucking incredible so yeah yeah. Put that in your pipe and smoke it, you fuckers. <laughs> uh, well, he actually, he did something I never thought of and made Owen essentially another main character in the prequel trilogy. And I he, do remember him, I remember him doing that. 
Yeah, and uh, how he uses them is is kind of cool. He's a, a strong supporting character, kind of a, a goofy, lovable little everyman caught in an extraordinary situation with extraordinary friends who happen to be Jedi's and senators. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I really like the way he's implemented there, where he's along for the adventure, and when everything goes horribly, horribly wrong, he's like, oh, fuck this, I'm going to retire on a farm. Yeah, that's a great idea. Because honestly, if you look at the original films, like the answers we kind of wanted, I don't even think we needed though. I don't think some of, people want to know what the Clone Wars were. People want to know what happened between Obi Wan and Anakin. People want to know how Anakin became Darth Vader. But if there's another thing, is that there's clearly some unspoken story with Owen Lars, because he's really apprehensive about letting you know Luke go off with Obi Wan. And he's like, that's just, the wizard's just a crazy old man. And then there's that scene where he's like, he's got too much of his father in him. Which means he knew Anakin at one point. Mm-hmm. And this movie implies that he's judging Anakin based on the fact that Anakin uh, massacred all these sand people. That one weekend he stayed at their house. Um, which I guess, I mean, that would make me not have a positive image of someone. <laughs> But uh, I wouldn't apply that to Luke wanting to leave the farm. <laughs> but uh, I'm, I don't think, you know, committing a minor act of genocide is equivalent to, hey, I don't want to fucking work in the field this year. Um, so there's that. The other, I, I mentioned on another episode where I, I got it, I should have double checked, but I believe the novelization for Return of the Jedi mentions that Owen Lars is Obi-Wan's brother. Yes, you did. And I think that's another really interesting take. Yeah, that would have been cool. So, which would explain why he's got so much animosity towards Obi-Wan. I'm not trying to be a dick, but George Lucas did not set out to make good Star Wars movies. He set out to make technically impressive Star Wars films. And yeah, he kind of did that, in my opinion. Yeah, um, uh, I think we ended on a nice positive note last time where, you know, in a roundabout way, he wanted to make the industry better and more accessible for uh, other filmmakers and storytellers. And I don't know if he made it better because Hollywood is a complicated, vile place, but he did make it more accessible, I think. He definitely made it more accessible. And get And remember, like this movie... You know, we, this was the first time we got to see, like, all digital battles with, like, massive armies. And, like, you know, and Yoda fucking pulling his lightsaber out is stupid, but it was interesting to see Yoda as an all-digital character. And this was some groundbreaking stuff when it was released in, uh, I believe, May of 2002. Uh, this was all pretty groundbreaking, and then it would immediately be topped that December by uh, Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers. <laughs> <laughs> Which did pretty much everything Attack of the Clones tried to do, except much, much better. Yeah. Uh, if you haven't seen... The and Lord I highly the... recommend... I highly recommend watching all the behind-the-scenes documentaries for the making of Lord of the Rings. Because, honestly, those, that is what I wish had happened with these movies. Because those movies really did push a lot of groundbreaking technology, but they also knew when to use older practical effects and mix them together in really interesting ways. And this movie is, is, it's straining how much it can actually do. Um, 
In fact, you know, some of the soldiers don't look very good, especially running on the sand. Oh my God, the sand. Uh, well, mm. I mean, every, <laughs> everything with people in it, with the completely digital backdrop, looks, mm. it's aged badly. Yeah, it's, this one is really bad. I mean, Jar Jar looked really bad in the Phantom Menace upon rewatch, but like a lot of stuff looks bad in this movie. Yeah, and just, Oh man! And you, you mentioned that you mentioned that Camino you like really like as a planet. Yeah, um, that's one of the few planets where they actually built models. <laughs> um, the the huge you know Camino buildings were actually models that uh, a guy named Adam Sussler actually worked on. Oh wow! And then he and then he went on to do uh, a show called MythBusters with his buddy. Um, so there's there's some interesting film trivia. The more you know. <clears throat> and and I realize I suddenly realized there's one more thing I want to talk about, but it might be bad to end it on it. That's okay. I'll, uh, I realize that there's actually there's a couple things, but this one I really want to talk right, about. Rapid fire, go. We'll end on a positive note somehow. Uh, well, all right. I can't really rapid fire this, but uh, Tango Fett is a big part of this film, and we're basically told in this film that Django Fett is Boba Fett because Boba Fett is a clone of Django Fett. Mm-hmm. Right? So it's Boba Fett again. Yep. Also, all the clone troopers are clones of Django Fett. So all the clone troopers are Boba Fett. That's fucking stupid. I don't I don't like that either. That's another thing where they're elevating the importance of Boba Fett. Like he's like he's clearly trying to make up for the lack of, like, because he, he, I mean, I'm sh- I'm guessing he's heard a lot of the complaints about Boba Fett's kind of quick demise in Return of the Jedi after all the hype. But this is the wrong way to do it, man. Like, don't make every character Boba Fett. <laughs> <laughs> and then it gets even weirder when we get into the Clone Wars cartoon and also the expanded universe in general where there's, you know, the Mandalorian culture where we suddenly have entire planets of Boba Fett's. I mean, they're not all like Boba Fett, but they all look like him. <laughs> I mean, it's basically a way to be like, now everyone can be Boba Fett. <laughs> and it's one of the elements of Star Wars, the EU, and now I guess Star Wars, the actual continuity, that I just don't like. It's one of the things that I, I really dislike about these films. What I can say that I do like about the clone stuff, uh, none of it has to do with Django or Boba Fett. That is, mm-hmm. I, I really do think that is the absolute wrong implementation of characters that we know. Basically. Mm-hmm. Um, I like the idea that, that war is this endless machine by literally having the Separatists build an endless army of droids and the Republic build an onslaught of clones like because they'll never run out of troops that way yeah and i think that's a oh, no, very could, interesting idea to tackle you could have done a really great commentary about the dangers of forever war and i mean mind you this was in 2002 this movie was released so it's a year after 9-11 not even it's about it's only a little over six months mm-hmm. after 9-11 and then you know but the, the fucking we went going to iraq in the next year so that was getting that was at least being started to talk about. And 
I mean, a lot of people draw all these like political connections, but I know that they shot most of this stuff before 9-11 actually happened. Um, so like, you know, the bombings, the terrorist bombings that are a big part of this film, um, are completely coincidental. Um, it's so weird now that I'm I'm looking back and I'm not going to bring stuff up, but it's kind of funny how much we're not talking about. I think of all the scenes in it we're not talking about because they really don't matter. Like, think about that. Yeah. That's not good. No. (laughs) Um. So just two other things really quick. Mm-hmm. Bail Organa appears in this film, played by Jimmy Smith. Yay. Um, which he should have been a bigger part of these fucking movies, but I actually like Jimmy Smith. I like him a lot. And too. Bail Organa as a character should have just been a bigger part. Think, that's, that's why Rogue One, flaws and all, will always have a place in my heart, because they finally gave Jimmy Smith something to do. <laughs> um, and uh, Although he does, he's a big part of Revenge, which is actually kind of fun. Obi-Wan investigating the clones. Um, there's the great scene where he reports it back to the council where he's like, hey, someone used the dead Jedi's name to order all these clones. Um, and, the, and the Jedi's response is, does this have anything to do with the assassination attempts against Padme? And I'm like, no, motherfucker, someone built an army. <laughs> like, someone's, and is, someone's playing the long con because this has been going on for 10 years now. Like, we were told it took about 10 years to develop these clones. Like, this is a pretty big moment. Something's about to happen, and with the rise of the Separatists, it's all a little too coincidental. Maybe ask more than zero questions about the clones. (laughs) And even if it wasn't clearly building up to something big, someone is using a dead Jedi name as as secret identity to go around the galaxy doing shady shit. That yeah. in and of itself is a huge problem. The fact that it's used to build an army should be catastrophic. Oh, God, this should be like fucking stop. This is like actually finding weapons of mass, mass destruction in Iraq. Yeah. <laughs> like, this would have been fucking stop, like, fucking stop this boat. Like, something's wrong. <laughs> but uh, also, I should point out, the Jedi, the Jedi who orders these clones, the fake name is Jedi Siphodius, right? Yes. Is that, is that the name? I believe in the EU, Siphodius's soul or brain is what is put in General Grievous's body. Huh. I think that's where Grievous comes from. I could be wrong. Oh, okay. I don't know if that's canon anymore because <laughs> of uh, the, the reboot shit, but that was something at one point. That's... Even for Star Wars, that's that's pretty out there. <laughs> Fucking stupid. That's that And then the last yeah. thing we have to talk about is Count Dooku. Um, not just because he's played by the amazing Christopher Lee. Mostly because they give Christopher Lee fucking nothing to do. <laughs> and it fucking pisses me off because I love Christopher Lee. Who did all his own stunts in this film, by the way. In both these films. Oh, clearly. And he's, like, in his fucking 70s. Like, it's a little awkward. He's clearly just swinging his sword around. <laughs> but it's still pretty good. Um, all right. So, D- Dooku is, like, this... He should be this really fascinating character. Right? Mm-hmm. Because um, I believe he trained... Uh, he was Qui-Gon Jinn's master. 
if I'm correct, and Yoda's Padawan. And at some point, he became disillusioned with the Republic and the Jedi. And because he's referred to as a political idealist. I never really know what the Separatists are after, but they're all like banking clans and like, you know, guilds and trade groups. So I'm guessing they wanted like a libertarian society. That's just what I, the vibe I get. So maybe he's a libertarian, which would make sense. But if that's, why not cast the libertarian Penn Jillette in the role of Count Dooku of Penn and Teller fame? Actually, put Penn and Teller in these movies. Then it would have been great. <laughs> um, I'm only half joking. But then, but here's the fucked up thing Count Dooku's entirely right. Like, he's like the fucking. The Republic is too corrupt to fix. There's a Sith Lord in charge. And he's entirely right. He, like, he tells Obi-Wan these things. So, like, he's technically, on, on, like, has the right idea. Like, maybe there's something about his methods that we could criticize. You know, he's got a point, <laughs> which is never explored. And mind you, there's a scene in this movie where he's got Obi-Wan captured and he, like, kind of lays all this out. And that should be, like, this really great power play between, you know, Obi-Wan and Dooku, and Dooku's playing games with him, and fucking Obi-Wan is trying not to let it show that he actually has doubt about the Republic. But instead, it's just kind of a scene where... But I think about, I think about the scene in Force Awakens where Rey and Kylo go at it, and it's like this great scene of them kind of going back and forth. And she actually ends up turning the tables on him. It's one of the best moments in that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh... And then I think of this, where it's literally just these two guys talking. <laughs> and really, it's like there's, no, there's nothing dynamic about the shot at all. You don't like a uh, shot, reverse shot, shot, reverse shot? No, and to give it a little bit of credit, I think the camera actually moves in that scene. <laughs> so fucking stand back. Ah. Also, and then Dooku is turned into like a cartoon villain in the cartoon show. Like, he goes from being, like, you know, political idealist to, like, actual, like, Bond villain bad guy. Yeah, that's one of the, the, Clone Wars the great things I have with the series. Kind of loses his nuance, or rather potential nuance. Which, which I would honestly, I, wouldn't, I would be more alright with it if it just matched the movie more. But it doesn't. It's a complete 180 from the movie. Including fucking Revenge of the Sith. But, hey. Wow. You know, this movie is kind of tiring to talk about. But it's also kind of fun to talk about. It's not and a... It, yeah. Hey, does it count that the Death Star appears in this movie? Oh, sure. Why the fuck not? In Blueprints. <laughs> so the Death Star is in five Star Wars films. Five of the eight we have. Oh, my God. Okay, so, so two, three, four, six, and seven. Oh, oh I, I didn't wrote, even count I seven. I was talking. I, I was talking Rogue One because, like, because oh, yeah. technically seven, it's Starkiller Base. Starkiller Base is slightly different enough that I didn't count it. But if you want to, then yeah, then it's fucking, one, oh, fucking one more than I said. Uh, six, six of the eight. I'm very concerned about what JJ might do with Episode Nine. I'm, I am a little concerned, but I uh, think maybe the backlash to. Uh, into darkness might have humbled him a little. I certainly hope honestly, so. if there's one thing I can say about J.J. Abrams compared to other directors in Hollywood, even directors I like, J.J., he at least does a very good job at hiding his ego. 
like he really comes to a lot of stuff very humbly and he'll and he will admit when he makes mistakes he might not have the right solution to his mistakes but he'll admit when he fucks up and you know that's very rare in hollywood that is uh i'm sure you saw some stuff prior to force awakens release where he's talking about previous movies he's worked on and how sometimes maybe the scripts weren't up to par and the story suffered a little bit. Mm-hmm. Like he just openly admits that he wasn't happy with the entire results of all his productions. Not yeah. all of them, but you know what I mean. Some the the ones I, I written by uh, the, darkness. the ones written by Alex Kurtzman and Damon Lindelof. <laughs> Although fucking well, Lindelof didn't. He he can't uh, he can't get total he can't get totally away from in the darkness because I know bringing Khan into it was his idea. Yeah. So that's his fault. Not a, not a great one. Not a, not a great idea. Um, but hey. Uh, and I'm sure Paramount really wanted it, so. Paramount's also to blame. Because Paramount really could have said, no, don't do con. But they were like, yeah, do it. And get the whitest actor on earth to play him. <laughs> it's almost like Paramount doesn't understand the appeal of Star Trek. What are you talking about? They've been handling, with how they've handled the 50th anniversary, the recent release of Star Trek Beyond, and now the upcoming release of Star Trek Discovery. They don't understand it. Uh, and they, they might be slowly destroying their own franchise. Don't worry, people will all be dead before it happens. Matt. Launch them nukes, Kim. <laughs> I could kill, take it all in a hellfire. Light it up. Light it up. <laughs> Matt, any... I'm the Lord of the Harvest. <laughs> bring it down. Bring it down. Any final thoughts on Attack of the Clones? Fuck it. <laughs> well, I don't like it, but I like a lot of ideas. Fuck you. You don't like I it. I don't like he it. He doesn't... Diego's lying to you people. <laughs> I don't like it. He's trying to be like, oh, I'm good cop over here. Fuck that. This movie sucks. There is no universe where I am bad cop to your worst cop. I don't think anyone can be bad cop to me. Because <laughs> if someone tries to be badder than me, I feel like it's a challenge. <laughs> like, motherfucker thinks I'm weak. <laughs> okay, yeah. Attack of the Clones, not great. Move digital into a new era for filmmaking. Pretty disappointing, but very interesting to talk about. And that's that's about it. Destroy all the hard drives it's on. Matt, where can the people find you? I am at EmperorOTN at Twitter.com, and that's it. You can find me on Twitter.com at D-E-W-G-O Waffles, uh, President Diego. Check out stuff on the Waffle Press. Audience is everywhere. Real Film Chatter, where I host a couple shows. Thanks for listening. this whole system. (laughs) Thanks for listening. Thanks for watching. We have been professionally unprofessional. Get the fuck out.